Hello and welcome to the Sports Eye Academy podcast. Here we bring together industry leaders to share their learnings and experiences working with data across the sports and leisure sector. I'm Karen Slovitz, the head of product at Active Exchange. Today I'm joined by our CEO, James Ellender, and Mitchell Malone from KPMG Australia's sports advisory team to talk about Active Exchange's aquatic and leisure social value model. The model combines best practice international research and model principles developed by KPMG with real data on participants and attendance at local facilities. Through a team arrangement, KPMG is a strategic intelligence partner of Active Exchange as its social value and benefits research partner. They provide ongoing expertise and research into the broader social and health benefits of physical activity, sport and recreation. KPMG's sports advisory practice understands the importance and significant value that physical activity delivers to society and has a team of professionals dedicated to identifying the research base on this topic and applying it to real world scenarios. So first up, James, growing up in the industry, has worked up to senior executive roles for some of the largest leisure operators across Australia and New Zealand. With over 20 years of industry experience, today James oversees active exchange across Australia and New Zealand. Mitch Malone is an economist and associate director in KPMG's management consulting practice and a member of KPMG's national sports advisory group. He has strong experience with the articulation and quantification of social and intangible benefits and in recent years has focused on understanding and measuring the benefits of community sports and recreation. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. And before we get into the interview, Mitch, maybe you could talk us through how the relationship came to be. Yeah, look, love to and, and fantastic to be here. Thank you. Um, I won't go too far back, but our team at KPMG have been doing a fair bit of work through the last decade in sport. And that largely focused on major sports infrastructure, stadium, stadium development, that sort of thing. And at some point, we got the chance to pivot across into community sport and recreation. And my background in economics, been doing a lot of cost benefit analysis. And within that, you often have to quantify some of the social and tangible benefits of you know, investment. And we're able to leverage some of those insights across into sort of sport and recreation to measure some of the benefits of sport and physical activity. And then in around 2018, we, um, we undertook a national level study for Sport Australia, measuring the benefits of community sport and active recreation infrastructure you know, across the country. Um, and that report was publicly available and it's available on the KPMG and Sport Australia websites if anyone's interested. Um, but what was sort of novel about that exercise is we quantified some of the broader kind of social and health benefits um, that maybe weren't usually included in a study of that sort. Um, and, you know, we got really good sort of um, feedback on, you know, stretching the boundaries of kind of what was included and quantified in that process. Somehow in parallel to that, uh, Alex Burrows was setting up Active Exchange in Australia around that same time. Um, and my understanding is that back in the UK, Alex had a partnership with Sheffield Hallam University, I think it was, to develop some social value indicators that were built into his benchmark benchmarking platform. Um, he saw the report we did for Sport Australia and some of the sort of indicators that were included and reached out to us to have a discussion as to whether we could do something similar for the Australian market. And look, we were pretty keen from the outset, to be honest, um, but it did take a while to sort of get that partnership formed, develop the methodology, test the approach. Um, I think it was about 12 months from that initial conversation through to having kind of a working prototype uh, that eventually turned into the social value module that Active Exchange has today. Fantastic. And James, what were you doing at the time? 
Yeah, it's uh, great to be able to talk alongside Mitch. And whilst I wasn't at, at Active Exchange back then, um, I was in a, a one of one of many roles I've had in the aquatic and leisure industry. So at that time, I was really uh, well. I was the general manager of marketing and strategy uh, at Belgravia, and I was trying to um, rationalise the impact that organisation was having you know, working at scale across hundreds of venues in hundreds of communities across Australia and New Zealand. And, and having come from some time out of the industry where I'd worked in health and worked in disability services and also for, for, for not-for-profits beforehand. So, you know, at the Y where, you know, same, same challenges of operating government infrastructure on behalf of communities and public assets and being able to talk beyond numbers and dollars and cents and participation, but talk about impact. And so I was, I was looking for a tool like, like Active Exchange now has. Um, and, and I had done, you know, 10 years, 10 years prior, opened up the, the largest single investment in Indigenous culture um, that opened on the first anniversary of the apology. And it was an aquatic and leisure centre and no one could quantify the impact it was having. You know, you're talking about people that were sedentary coming into facilities in Redfern um, in partnership with the Aboriginal Medical Service. Um, along, so so I, I had an incredible passion for this stuff and it's very much why I took the role, but three years ago, I was the guinea pig. I was the, I was the guy saying, yeah, we need it to work. It, I, I need it to justify things. I need it to, to actually aggregate up to more than just we run good facilities. We, 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 we have a community impact. So yeah, I, I had the opportunity to sort of work alongside Alex and, and ensure at, at scale it could be implemented. And you know, it's 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 great to see even you know three years on, we, we still amongst amongst many other venues, we still tr track social value in that network. It's now got a much bigger network. But you know, I was just looking at their their numbers the other day, and you know, they can they can say that they have attributed 350 million in aquatic and leisure social value across their network alone. And they can also say oh, that's that since they started doing it. Um, and then I think just in the last quarter, you know, despite COVID and closures, they had a $61 million community benefit in the last three months. Um, so it's, yeah, three years ago to what it's doing now, it's, it's uh, come a long way. But yeah, that's what I was doing. And, and James, just, just quickly, I was looking back through my emails and I think one of the foundational sort of questions we got back from clients was from yourself. Um, you know, Alex forwarded them on to me to answer some of the, you know, the, the kind of methodological questions um, as to the challenges that were sitting behind the model. So you're a big partner, even if you didn't know you were. <laughs> I didn't know I was. I needed a solution. So that's good. <laughs> Thank God for emails. And, th and that's how we all got to this table. Now, um, Mitch, um, I'm really interested in understanding a bit better of how it actually works. I mean, beyond the terms. So um, how did KPMG go about assessing active exchanges suitability to build the model and, and where did it go from there? Yeah, it's a really good question, Karen, because it's what we were faced with when Alex sort of first approached us, you know, why, why this solution, why does it make sense? And I think if I, if I take a step back and think about the challenges in measuring but the benefits of sport and recreation more broadly, and particularly those social and intangible benefits, it's that we often start from really poor input data. And so across the sector, I think, yeah, and, and while we're improving a little bit as we go, we're not very good at capturing the type of information and data that gives us a good understanding of the actual physical and social activity occurring, you know, as a result of sport and, and recreation. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I guess to provide an example, you know, we often talk about participation in sport and recreation, you know, the number of people who have engaged in a specific sport or activity in a given time period. Um, or alternatively, we might only have participations, you know, a, a count of, you know, the number of times an activity has occurred in a given time period with no consideration as to whether it's one person participating multiple times or not. And I think both of those don't give us any real insight into the underlying kind of social and physical activity that's occurring with those that sport and recreation. And I think, you know, the, the challenge of developing, um, you know, robust insights and, and estimates of these, these sort of more sociable and tangible benefits um, does require a much better picture of what's actually happening. We need to know or, or be able to answer questions like, you know, what activity we are participating in, how frequently are we doing that, what's the duration of each activity, what's the intensity of that activity, you know, what's the actual kind of metabolic load on a person from participating in that, that physical activity, um, how are they interacting with people pre, during and post that activity so we have a good understanding of the kind of social drivers of benefit. Um, and I think, you know, what we saw when we had the first look at the active exchange platform was that um, we were on a much better footing for some of those inputs than we would be with broader uh, sector data. You know, we had good data on frequency, we had good data on type and duration of activity, and we we're able to use insights from the broader kind of volume of data available to active exchange to build some benchmarks and sort of um, robust assumptions to fill in some of the other gaps around things like intensity. And I think just it, it really was a great guinea pig for building a tool around social value because it solved a lot of those broader sector problems um, and allowed us to then really focus on the social value methodology and, and assume that we had you know, a foundational, a good strong foundational base for some of those data challenges. Okay. But James, how does it actually work? Can, can you explain what social value is and, and how you track it in the active exchange ecosystem? Yeah, absolutely. And look, I think um, as Mitch was saying, what 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 happens out there and and you know there's a lot of us who are ex operators um sort of in the network and and then we work with operators is information gets um rewritten the moment you get a tool like a membership system or a um uh yeah a point of sale system and and then you get all this legacy of how people refer to things or how they edit things because it's got to be edited to be how they want it to be out there and that's natural but what the work that we do is taking all the um modeling and 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 what's been built through um kpmg's knowledge we then apply apply what's happening we analyze what's actually happening in the point of sale system or the membership system and we ensure that regardless of which system a operator is using or what they refer to something being is that it ties back to some really important standards and definitions that become independent. And so it doesn't matter what the system is. It doesn't matter how things are referred to. We do all the um, re-engineering of that information to be able to be applied to the model. So then, you know, over a long period of time, um, you know, it becomes this independent analysis of the actual information that's required to then be able to be translated into the model that then turns into um, dollars. So as an example, um, you know, the, the, what we track and are able to quantify is acute and chronic and, and drowning indicators and the actual benefit in dollars because of participation, because we know who they are, what they do over time, and they don't contribute social value about maintaining activity and maintaining thresholds. And so you're genuinely quantifying 
and we talk about acute um, indicators, the mental health benefit, the increased productivity or improved educational outcome savings, right down to the individual and to the facility for a dollar figure. Now that's because we know that you know, the, all the correlations around exercises benefits and mental health and the proved health, you know, the savings that that creates. Similar to the chronic indicators where you know, we're able to quantify health system savings, dementia savings, cardiovascular disease, type two diabetes, bowel cancer, breast cancer, known activities that can offset those for specific age groups. And, and so then you know, in, the, in, in Learn to Swim, we're tracking risk of drowning, you know, because it, again, there's a lot of evidence around the impact of the activity leading to the consequence. And a lot of what we do is we work in the middle of what's happening out there in aquatic and leisure land, and then what's known in the systems side to apply what everything that we gather into the model to then spit out the number. Okay, so, so the tool is clever, um, but Mitch, you're working in this day in and day out along partners in all tiers of government and sports and rec. Um, what are the key benefits of measuring social value and how is it being utilized and what's its potential in the future? Yeah, look, there's a lot in that. Um, if, if I start by thinking broadly, um, you know, outside of sport and recreation, that, that concept of measuring social value. Um, you know, there's this sort of change in focus in the corporate world where there's this push for business to be better corporate citizens. Um, there's a shift of focus from, you know, what we would call narrow shareholder value to broader stakeholder value, you know, answering questions, what is our environmental social impact, that sort of thing. Um, and then I think from a government perspective, they're sort of in face, they're facing increasing fiscal constraints and issues with you know, allocation and prioritization of funding across different sectors. And with that comes an increased focus on the evidence base supporting sort of investment propositions and business cases and things like that. Um, and then I think at the same time, government is also changing its focus to maybe fund outcomes as opposed to specific initiatives or projects. And to be able to do that, you need to be able to measure those outcomes in a robust and accurate and consistent way. And so if that's sort of the landscape, then thinking about sport and recreation within it, um, a large number of the benefits that we generate in the sector are those sociable, social and intangible benefits. They're difficult to measure. Um, you know, it's not like there's sort of robust accepted methodologies that we can borrow from other sectors. We sort of have to come up with some of these ourselves. And historically, we've not been very good at tackling that challenge. Um, but we do know that if we can, and we've sort of shown that with some of our work, that there are material benefits to getting it right and to being able to measure these, these benefits. Um, you know, obviously, if we're better able to articulate and provide evidence for the benefits of investment sport and recreation, then ideally we attract greater levels of funding and we get sort of more outcomes. Um, by being able to sort of articulate and measure specific benefits, there's the potential to unlock other buckets of funding as well. Um, so if James just sort of spoke through, you know, all the health indicators that the social value module can point to, well, there's a whole heap of money out there um, that's available for tackling health problems and you know, specific to you know, providing funding for interventions into those negative health outcomes. And if we can prove in a robust and sort of quantitative way that sport and recreation tackles those, then maybe we can attract funding from those buckets as well. And then I guess there's this broader concept that uh, unless we're tracking and measuring things properly, it's really hard to learn from what we're doing and, and you know, improve what we're doing. And I think we're better able to sort of deliver outcomes through sport and recreation if we are tracking and measuring these things properly. We can better guide our allocation of effort and programming and funding to be more effective in what we do. 
And we recently um, completed a piece of work for a local council where we helped them look in detail um, at the sort of the benefits they support and the kind of the cost incurred for council uh, to support those benefits in sport and recreation. And I think there are a number of really sort of strong learnings and outcomes for the council project team in particular. Um, and the first really just related to the change of language around sport and recreation within council. We, we had a line in our Sport Australia report back in 2018 that was you know, something along the lines of changing the narrative in sport and recreation from one of cost to one of investment. You know, so sort of focusing on the return on investment, focusing on the outcomes we, we get. And I think that sort of really resonated in the, the journey with, with our client and that by, just by undertaking this work, the conversation and the dialogue was focused on what we get back from investing in sport and recreation in our area, not just the bucket of costs that existed. Um, I think at the same time, going through the process of trying to, to measure some of these things really helped the council project team understand the data that they should be collecting and pivot some of the things that they already do to collect and store data on participation and some of the broader sector activities in a better way to allow them to have visibility over the outcomes they're supporting and then to be able to measure those on an ongoing basis over time. And I think finally, the, the sort of conversations that they were able to combine was that where they had this robust sort of quantitative narrative and evidence base that linked their, their sort of sector activity to all these great outcomes and outcomes that they were looking to achieve. And so in going back and looking at the support they provide the sector and the programs that they sort of fund, can they do that better in, in a sort of more targeted way to link back to this, this new understanding they have of, of outcomes? Um, and I think overall, just a really sort of positive experience uh, for that local government to sort of go through that journey and really mature how they look at sport and recreation and, and investment in it. And I think looking forward, um, you know, there will be this continued focus um, on this broader concept of social value and value more broadly. Um, and I think we'll start to see it included in things like, you know, outcomes, metrics and contracts, in end of year reports, in grant application processes. I just think it will continue to be kind of the focus of the dialogue of sport and recreation, or at least I'd really like it to be as we go forward. Well, that sounds good. Um, James, in, in your role, how are you seeing local government and facility operators, um, particularly around aquatics and leisure, and engaging with the social value model? Yeah, it's, um, it's been really interesting. Uh, I've been in the role for 12 months now. Um, and I think, as I said at the start, I sort of took, took this job because really it's a social value tool. Um, because if, every time I talk to a council, it's what they listen to. Uh, it's, it's sort of where where they need the conversation to get to, as Mitch is saying. It's you know so much more than um, inputs or delivery decisions about outputs and out, outcomes. So you know we're seeing that the conversation shift, um, but it's because we've taken the confusing part away from the person who's got the data. Um, so when I talked about that process before, it really is quite a simple process to be able to get the conversation shifted to health discussion. And there's no human intervention there. It really is going into a system and extrapolating out the information and then you know, creating the numbers. So, so how we're seeing it now is we have got a couple of councils, you know, that have embedded the social value targets into KPIs for contracts. Um, that, that's actually happening in bits and pieces out there. And, and that's, that's a really exciting phase where it's no longer about group fitness participation, it's about you know, um, outputs around acute and chronic healthcare uh, and system saving. So that's, that's, that we're seeing that. And we've also had a couple of councils um, who, who literally are saying, 
it's finally given them the elevator pitch they need to speak about health impact beyond participation. And so that's sort of seen a, you know, that realization that they can articulate why their facility, say in Melbourne, is going to operate at a, at a um, deficit financially. It may cost a million dollars to keep that venue operating, but it's generating $8 million in social value. And they can spell out how. Um, we've then seen you know, the guys at um, City of Brimbank who have had it for a couple of years now, and, and they're just running the report on a rolling basis, but it's actually, they're determining what new programs to run and what cohorts to target. So while we're having that much impact in type two diabetes, imagine if we got on the front end of that and then linked in the local health network and linked in some funding partners and created this new program. So it really is, I guess, um, fast tracking that conversation where people are not just getting the number, but thinking about what to do next to generate more value <laughs> or look at their community and realize that they sit in a highly deprived area or a high, high obesity area and can apply even more targeted effort. And the last one um, that we've seen is one of our not-for-profit partners, the guys over at the Y Australia, sorry, Y South Australia, um, are embedding it into their annual reports. So it's now part of their report back to um, their members about the impact they're having. And they've, they've taken it from just a number that sits on a dashboard to being embedded as to why, why they operate and why they do what they do to, to, to educate their partners. So they're, they're some of the sort of real world applications that we've seen. Um, you know, we, we, we also know, if you look at some of those examples, we've, we've been monitoring um, the impact that COVID's had on our industry, you know, as operators of venues. And, and we, can, we can see from, from, we aggregate up what we know, which is 300 venues in Australia, and it may only be a sample, but it's 300 centres where we track everything that everyone's doing and correlate it back to health and education and, and, and productivity indicators, as I've sort of outlined. We know that if we aggregate gather that up on behalf of the whole industry, our estimate is that, you know, there's been $4.5 billion of social value lost through the aquatic and leisure network in Australia through COVID, whether it's because we're closed or now people might say, well, they're out doing other things and that might be the case, but are they getting to the levels they need to? Are they, are the targeted people actually participating or is it just the active? Um, we're, we're, we're looking at the entire community through a leisure centre and not just um, a specific group. And I think that's um, really interesting when you when you start to have that conversation, like, like um, Mitch would say, the sport and rec budget is a couple of hundred million dollars. The health budget is $111 billion. And if we could just get half a percent more um, over our entire network, imagine what we could do with that. Wow, yes, <laughs> imagine. Um, now, uh, today is just an intro to the power of the aquatic and leisure social value model. And if you're like me um, and new to the industry, selfish plug, if you want to gain a better understanding, um, join us for a panel discussion in November where we will be reviewing real-life examples of the use of this tool and its impact on the sector. You can keep an eye out for our newsletter for details on the session or subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, the details will also be loaded on our website at activeexchange.org forward slash sportseye academy. James, in closing, with all your experience in the aquatics and leisure industry and working with local government, do you have any thoughts on how the sector could 
better use the social value model? Yeah, look, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think having sat in this role, worked for the private, not-for-profit health disability organisations, I think the most important piece is it's, it's time to start and, and understanding what your facility or your group of facilities is doing and, and measure it, understand it and start to, to share it outside of your normal circle of influence because you're only, you're only part of that group. And what, what I've seen um, over many years is once you start sharing this stuff with the likes of community planners, local area health networks, primary health care, um, you quickly realise that, that the asset that you've got is the epicentre of the health system. You know, and, and suddenly you're talking about prevention, not cure, and you know, deliver. You know, um, uh, you know the, the the leisure infrastructure is part of the health community. So, to me, that's you know, um, moving into the future, I'd, I'd love to be able to, to partner and put this information in the hands of the beholder. Um, but but we should also really think about, as Mitch said, the collective gathering of this information is profound once you really drill into that single site, but you mm -hmm. can look at, at national level. So, yeah. Well, that's great. And Mitch, last question for you. Where do you see the social value model evolving to in the future? Yeah, and, and again, a really good question. And I, I think, um, you know, in my, in my role, often thinking broader than sport and that, that concept of measuring public value, I think will just continue to be the focus across society. Um, you know, as opposed to that narrow view of commercial return or economic return, I think we're now in a world where we care more about, you know, the broader social impacts, the broader environmental impacts. And so for us in sport and recreation, the challenge is how we can work to improve data across the broader sector uh, to improve the measurement of these benefits over time, you know, tackle some of those challenges that have been solved by active exchange in the aquatic and leisure centres through, you know, years of sort of building up a, a massive, you know, both, um, you know, benchmarking information as well as sort of capability. Um, how can we solve some of those things more broadly across the sector? I guess my kind of unwarranted and unsolicited advice for people listening is that I've, I've seen a lot of people put social value in the too hard basket. You know, it's, they've been told it can't be done well, or they've seen it done poorly before. What I would encourage people to do is to have a look at the website and the social value module, have a look at some of the publicly available reports. I think the capabilities in this space have come a long way in, in recent years. And it's now to the point where you can sort of sit across the table from, you know, state treasuries and funding bodies and talk their language in a quantitative manner, supported by robust evidence and methodologies. It's not perfect yet. You know, there are a number of things that we would like to improve in the research so that we can include more benefits over time. I've spoken about some of the input data challenges and that sort of thing, but even just being able to talk that robust quantitative narrative around the benefits puts sport and recreation on a much better footing than we have been historically. And I'm hoping that the sector can kind of all jump on board and steer in the same direction. And over time, we get to a place where, you know, this is the language and the dialogue that we talk about when we talk about sport and recreation. Yeah, it really is great. You know, from my side, it's great to see a scientific approach to the measure of social value. Um, and a tool of this power would be the envy of many other industries still navigating their own social value journeys. Um, as the uh, aquatic and leisure industry embraces and uses the tool, I think we can look forward to even better insights. I'm really excited about the future of the model um, and the positive impact it will have just generally and, and also at a national level across all the sports. Um, well, that's it for today. Um, thanks for listening. And thank you, Mitch and James, for joining me today. 
You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify by searching for the Sports Eye Academy. And uh, don't forget to register for the panel discussion by signing up for our newsletter or finding us on our website. Plus, if you have any questions or you're interested in our services, please feel free to contact us at intelligence at activeexchange.org. Thank you. Thank <music> you.